Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Math and Physics Podcast. I'm your host, Parker. And I am Ray, and we welcome you to episode 16, where today we're going to be talking about some cool error analysis and some big moments in history where this played a big role in science. Yeah, so error analysis and uh, uncertainties as well in experimental physics. So, Mm -hmm. to kick off the podcast... We're just going to run through some some examples in history where error analysis could have played a very important role and ignoring the errors in calculations and observations has led to faulty results. So for the first example, in uh, 1989, there are two researchers at the University of Utah that uh, were conducting an experiment Uh, in nuclear fusion. So they were trying to produce cold fusion. And with the results, they found that um, they were able to achieve their goal. And everybody thought that uh, this marked the beginning of unlimited free energy in the world, which is going to change the world forever and how we lived, right? But actually, this turned out to be wrong, because, uh, you know, cold fusion in the way that they conducted the experiment cannot be done, right? It just doesn't exist. So their biggest mistake was actually neglecting to do the error analysis on the results. And that would have shown that, uh, you know, they did not actually achieve cold fusion in their lab. And, uh, you know, unlimited free energy was not actually achieved that day. That would be really cool, though. Imagine if, <laughs> if let's say, this thing wasn't, like, error wasn't even a thing in the universe. I mean, the universe would be very different, of course. <laughs> no error. But just imagine. I mean, technically, technically, error does not exist in the universe. It just exists in our observations. In our measurements, measurements yeah, technically. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Cold fusion is actually a really cool topic. You know what? I'm actually thinking of this now. We can have, like, a whole podcast on cold fusion. Yeah, definitely. I'm just saying it's a really cool topic, just nuclear fusion in general. Yeah. Anyways. And uh, before you before you go on to the, the second example, um, have you ever watched, mm-hmm. like on the, on the topic of unlimited energy, have you watched uh, the videos of like perpetual motion machinery? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of like fake, fake videos out there because it, it actually doesn't work, mm-hmm. right? Because of, because of friction, mm-hmm. it's impossible to have like, let's say... Have you seen the one where it's like a wheel and then there's marbles with moving yeah, slots? Yeah, like, because it technically can't just move forever. Yeah, you, yeah. you can't move forever when there's friction mm-hmm. involved. And so everyone's trying to figure out these like weird contraptions where, you know, one, you need perpetual motion, which is, you know, currently, I'm pretty sure currently impossible under any circumstance. And mm-hmm. also you need a way to extract energy from that system while maintaining perpetual motion which you know is that be, is even more difficult yeah. like i don't even know how that makes sense to some people like why would they even try to do that i know like the system has x amount of energy you're taking so much energy every you know x units of time and what you expect it to just keep on going yeah like one example was to let's say you have like a waterfall into what's it called like a windmill or something but it's not for wind Mm -hmm. it's like a water mill i guess so it's pretty much like a like a dam is what you're trying to say yeah well the the energy from pretty much the energy from the dam is used to bring the water back to the top 
and then continue producing energy like that. Mm-hmm. You know, somehow you you put a you put a second water wheel that produces energy on the side, and then that whole system just continues to produce energy. But you know, somewhere in the calculations, this is just not possible. Yeah, it's not gonna last forever. That's just impossible. Yeah, exactly. With with this with the circumstances here on Earth, at least. Yeah. Okay, so moving to another example, and this is actually quite. Um, this was pretty big in the 1970s where um, researchers reported that there was this certain diet where if you intake a lot of fiber, high fiber contents, then you will pretty much decrease the number of these polyps that are forming in your colon, which was quite a common and still quite a common thing, I suppose at least. I don't know how common it is, <laughs> but it sounds like it's a pretty common thing because this research paper apparently like you know, made headlines, broke news and everything. So it was a really big thing. We're not biologists for God's sake. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. However, the problem was 30 years later when a set of researchers, you know, kind of went into this again and try to figure out if this actually happens. What they figured out is that there's actually no correlation between a high fiber diet and the decrease of polyps in the colon. And the reason the people in the 1970s thought that there was is once again because of error analysis. So the problem was that the error bars of the measurements in the 1970 research paper, they were so large that the two samples pretty much with and without high fiber diets, both of them gave equal rates of polyps forming in the colon. And that was kind of a proof for why this really had no effect on producing uh, polyps in the colon and how high fiber simply doesn't affect it at all. And all of this research that was given and everyone was so excited that, oh, wow, now I can decrease this thing forming. Unfortunately, it was all just, you know, a ruse. It was all an unfortunate ruse. Yeah, and a, a really general case of error analysis is when you have, let's say, a distribution of uh, points you're trying to study the relationship between a dependent variable and an independent variable and mm-hmm. what happens is that your distribution looks kind of like a random cloud and so some people have the idea right to just find the best fit curve and they think that you know just following that curve will give you uh you know a general or a good approximation of this relationship but in a lot of cases, what happens is that the best fit curve really doesn't mean anything because the points are so scattered that, you know, if you were to go by the curve, it would really give you no information about the real life results that happen. And so it's it's important to know when and when not to use uh, a best fit curve to approximate points. Because there are uh, sometimes, and we'll actually give you, I think, a uh examples that we've actually done in our labs too later on where um, there are many times when certain curves or certain linear approximations you know can really approximate the data really well and to find a hypothetical data point all you have to do is you know plug it into this curve equation and then you can find it but as Parker just said a lot of times what people don't people don't really realize is that you can't apply it in every situation and it doesn't always work because sometimes it'll just give you radically different data points than what they actually are. Right. You know, and that just completely ruins the The experiment. only time you can actually use like a linear approximation 
is when there actually exists you know a linear relationship mm -hmm. between between the results of an experiment right like it doesn't have to be like directly linear though because sometimes like because sometimes you can still approximate like a line right. to points where are they're you know kind of scattered a bit not exactly linear but yeah they have to be at least somewhat linear yeah. you know they can't be like completely different. but let's yeah. say the be the best fit line yeah. seems to be linear but in actuality mm -hmm. it's just like a cloud of points and it just so happens that the line is appears to be straight right that mm -hmm. still doesn't make mm -hmm. any sense to use that exactly so um moving on to like another example this is not really an error an uh, analysis example it's just that something that caught my eye and i think is really cool because I don't know. It, I mean, it's a big sign, uh, scientific pooper, pretty much, that was made in 2012, and I think it's really interesting to share. So, in 2012, uh, scientists at CERN, or the Large Hadron Collider in Geneva, they they figured out, or experimentally, they discovered that there was a type of neutrino that traveled 0.002% faster than the speed of light. Now. This completely broke all headlines and pretty much every single thing in scientific history. Mm -hmm. Because I think for the longest time ever, we've known that the speed of light is the universal speed limit. But this thing is this neutrino is now beating the speed of light. Like, how is that even possible? And what's funny is that five independent science uh, researchers also tried this experiment and they did not get the same results. So there was a lot of backfire on this particular program. So what they did was when they actually analyzed the error and saw what what was wrong or if anything was wrong, it turned out this huge discovery was all just because of a loose fiber optic cable that had introduced a delay in their timing, which caused the neutrino to seem faster than it actually did. Mm. And I think this was really funny when it happened because like i mean just imagine you know it's like you celebrating for a goal everyone is so happy you won the world championship and they're like offside you know <laughs> like it's it's just a terrible feeling and i just thought i should share because yeah. it's a pretty cool story okay so moving on to the next topic we're gonna bring this all the way back to high school um statistics which actually plays Ooh. a very nice role when you get to first-year uh, university lab classes. So mm. we all know how, or, you know, I don't think, st no, statistics isn't a prereq, but uh, I think it's recommended. Do you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, it wasn't recommended for my program, but I just took it because it sounded really cool. Yeah. And it, believe me, it was. Yeah, it, it was super interesting and super applicable. We talked mm -hmm. about this on the very last podcast, how there's a lot of topics you cover in the stats class that you can just apply directly to your everyday life, you know, and mm -hmm. the easiest example, I think, is rolling two dice, right, and then calculating the probability of each sum that you can get from two to 12. And so that's like, basically, the, the easiest um, bell curve you can find, right? So you we use that uh, distribution kind of like as an introduction to finding like the standard deviation and finding or drawing the bell curve and studying that. Mm -hmm. And so 
that's when we actually learn about standard deviation and what that means. So in short, standard deviation is just how far or how spread out your points are from the mean value. So is your bell curve super wide? That would give you a large standard deviation or are all the points kind of huddled around the mean value? And that would give you a very small standard deviation. And so in physics, what happens is that if we perform an experiment and we find a Gaussian distribution, which is the same as a bell curve. So we find the Gaussian distribution and we find sigma, which is the variable for the standard deviation. What happens is that, <laughs> I said what happens a lot in that sentence, but uh, <laughs> what you do is you just use the standard deviation as the error in your measurements. Because if you create an interval around the mean value, you know, plus the standard deviation and minus the standard deviation, that interval will include 68% of all of the measurements. So we just use that as kind of a general error interval for your measurements. Mm -hmm. And s standard deviation just in general is a very useful topic just to know how, as Parker said, pretty much any data values are spread out, you know, and you can, um, he was given the example of a dice and I think that's also pretty cool where seven is the most common sum, right? So from the two to 12 with two dice. So calculating like standard deviation on that, even though not very helpful because we already know all the outcomes, but in like more realistic data, for example, as he gave in a physics example, if we get, let's say a Gaussian distribution, then standard deviation, I think, plays a very important role in understanding the uncertainties of the data points. And, that, and now we can come to kind of talking about uncertainties. So uncertainties are actually quite um, quite an important, uh, um, important mathematical number when it comes to <laughs> pretty much analyzing what mathematical number. Yeah, I, when, I, you, I when you're trying to hit the word I count. It too. I, re <laughs> I realized it too. I'm sorry. Okay, so it's a very important number when it comes to just measurements. So for example, let's say we have a ruler, right? This ruler is... 15 centimeters long now the thing is every single ruler in the world is not equal right there will be some rulers that are just a bit off here and there we may not be able to see yeah, it. and those are all manufacturing errors right there's nothing we can do about that yeah man yeah exactly there's nothing you can do about it it's not like you know the company is terrible or anything you're buying the ruler from <laughs> it's just manufacturing errors that happen so in any ruler let's say 15 centimeters you can have a plus or minus, let's say, I don't know, 0 0.02 millimeters or whatever, right? Or, or let's just say 0.5 millimeters. This is also true for uh, digital um, rulers, right? The ones that are yeah, like super, for, for super, rulers. super precise. Mm -hmm. There is still a, an uncertainty and we'll get to that after Ray finishes his idea. Yeah. And we actually, interestingly enough, did this in a lab experiment where we had to calculate the theoretical uncertainty of this ruler. And we actually had to, you know, understand what this was because the uncertainty, this plus or minus 0 0.5, pretty much means that we are not exactly sure if it's 15 centimeters, but it could be 15.005 or 14.9995 or, right. or whatever that was. 
So yeah, so basically uncertainties help a lot in understanding the relationships and understanding what measurements you're trying to, you know, measure. Right. And as you said, whenever you have a measuring device, whether it be for like current, length, uh, force, or anything like that, and you have like a digital reading, let's say it's, it's precise up to the nearest tenth, let's say. So let's say you're trying to weigh an object and it gives you 12.1 grams. What it's actually saying is that the weight is closer to 12.1 than it is to 12.2 or 12.0 because the weight could actually be 12.14 but it doesn't have enough space on the screen I guess or they they didn't bother to make it um, precise to the nearest hundredth so they're just rounding it up and so the uncertainty when um, when a device is giving you information to the closest hundredths, the uncertainty is going to be plus or minus uh, 0.05. Is, did that make sense? Wait, why 0.5? If we're just doing the nearest hundredth, then oh, yeah. you'll have... Oh, right, right. I, me- I meant the nearest tenth. So the, it's giving oh, you the nearest, okay, okay, tenth. the nearest tenth. What you do is you go to the next decimal point and you just put mm. a five, <laughs> you know, because... Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you, you can put right, five. Cause... Sure, why not? <laughs> Five's always work. And I, I think that's the cool thing about uncertainty too. Like, um, yeah, a lot of the times you do have to calculate it, obviously, very precisely. But um, as long as most of your data points are within that range, like it still qualifies as a valid uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And this, this actually goes yeah. to show how uncertainties can be quite precise and quite kind of hand wavy like when when you're taking a ruler let's say you're kind of just guessing the uncertainty right you're saying well you know it's it looks like it's at this point on my ruler but it could be in between these two values and you're kind of setting that as Mm -hmm. like a personal uncertainty exactly yeah because people don't really realize that you know in almost every single time they use the ruler there's always an uncertainty that they're measuring. It's just that they don't either realize it or they don't just care, Yeah, <laughs> you know, because they're like, oh, that's 10 centimeters. But no, no, it probably isn't. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> that's the, that's a and the thing. reason why, like, a lot of people, when something is like 9.9 centimeters, they'll be like, oh, it's 10 centimeters. Mm-hmm. But the reason why we're being so careful in physics is because we're really going for the highest level of precision because if we're trying to repeat an experiment time and time again and produce the same results of course you know there's going to be some sort of not malfunction but i guess you know i guess uncertainty is the word i'm I'm trying to say um with you know the difference between someone else looking at the ruler And myself looking at the ruler, I might set a different uncertainty than someone else. But what we're actually trying to do is just create kind of like this interval where, you know, if we reproduce the experiment time and time again, the results will always fall in that interval. And if we can minimize that interval of uncertainty, that's when we'll actually achieve like the actual truth of the results. That's actually why um, the same experiment a lot of the times is actually done again and again and again, 
just to make sure that, you know, we can get the uncertainty value to the point where we can be the most precise, you know, because the entire point of an experiment in physics is so that it can be replicated, right? That's the entire point, because if you're the only one that does it, it's not a law. It's not a theory. It's basically nothing until at least, you know, X number of people can also replicate and find the same results that you did. Right. And something that's also really important is to be able to predict um, results, right? Like if you have a theory, well, you're trying, yeah. you, you, you have to get, um, right, you have to confirm what it's trying to say. And also you have to be able to predict future results that haven't, that haven't been observed yet. Yeah, but like as long as as long as the criteria of your experiments are similar then and your experiment works, then understanding or predicting future data shouldn't be crazy hard. No, but again, j just repeating, I'm just saying that the entire point of your experiment is so that other people can replicate it. And the only way to do so is to be precise about your uncertainty yeah. values, right? And that's actually where and why uncertainties are so important. Is, and... Interestingly enough, there's also an opposite of uncertainty, which I like to call significant figures. Significant figures are like the pretty much polar opposite of uncertainties, where instead of trying to get it more and more precise, you're trying to get it more and more or, or less and less precise, right? And those are really helpful for large numbers. Mm -hmm. And that's where it's useful. And I think that's also where people can try and find the distinction where significant figures are used in crazy large numbers and uncertainties are usually used in more precise smaller numbers i don't think that made a whole lot of sense because you can how did it not am, am i wrong because like we always use sig figs when we're talking about like you know e to the 26 or something like that yeah but they're not in the same like category right like you can have uncertainties for really large numbers and have significant figures for that large number yeah, you can. I'm just saying it's like significant fig figures try to reduce the preciseness while uncertainties increase. Right. That's basically the okay, thing I was yeah, trying to say. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. One thing that I wanted to bring up, which is also really important, is knowing when to eliminate values from your results. I don't know the word in mm -hmm. English, but I know the the word in French. It's it's valeur aberrante. <laughs> it's like a it's like a a value that kind of sticks out from your other results like an outlier yeah but there's a there's a that's specific the word. word for it like when when there's one outlier that's the word are you sure i've because i've heard this word wait, before wait. it's like what's the brief definition like let's say you have uh your distribution of results and it kind of fits your predictions okay. and then you have one value kind of in the middle that is just way out from what it's yeah yeah that's okay. an outlier that's the word well, yeah. for it. So it's important yeah. that when you're analyzing your results, you know which points you just have to take out because, you know, either something yeah. went wrong or, you know, you weren't conducting the experiment as it was meant to be um, produced or, you know, anything of the sort. And you, you have one result that just, if you were to include it in your analysis, it would just make no sense at all, and it would make it would it would yeah, skew it would your results uh, to the point where um, it just doesn't fit your predictions. That's actually where uh, the median comes in and really saves the day. Where with the mean value, 
when you're calculating the mean of a set of numbers, you usually take in all the numbers. But as Parker just said, every time you do this experiment, you have to eliminate these outliers. Otherwise, your mean and your medium will be very different. So a good way to test if you have eliminated all your outliers is to see the value of your median. Now, the median, the, those that don't know it, just li literally the middle value. Like if I have numbers from 1 to 10, each occurring once, the median will be 5, right? It's literally the middle value. The mean is simply the average. And the problem with the average is if I take outliers like 1 to 10 plus 20, the average will be completely skewed and will be very far from the median. Actually, so right. a good way to kind of test if all your outliers have been taken out is kind of seeing the medium. You made a tiny mistake there. You said you said the what? median, if you have your numbers from 1 to 10, is going to be 5. Yeah. But it's actually, because you have a an even number of um, of numbers. Oh, well, the then mean, technically it won't exactly The median is going to be the average of the two middle numbers. So technically your median is 5.5. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, yeah, so you know, it's not whatever. exactly... Yeah. Well, anyways, people understand <laughs> yeah, the point yeah. that I was trying to make. It's like the middle number versus the average of the numbers. Yeah. Right. And so I wanted to actually talk about our experience in like in our labs mm -hmm. this year, but we're actually very, very far into the podcast. So I think the last thing we can bring up are like the error rules um, or the uncertainty okay. rules. I'm not sure if that's the actual uh -huh. name for it. But basically, when you're, let's say you have two measurements, and they both have uncertainties, and then your result is actually, let's say, the the product of those two measurements, or it's the it's the sum of the two measurements. There's actually there are rules pertaining to how you find the uncertainty of your result, because it's not going to be exactly just adding the two uncertainties together or multiplying the uncertainties together because in some cases that would make no sense at all. So let's say we have two lengths that we have to add to get our our final result. So length A has uncertainty delta A and length B has uncertainty delta B. What you actually have to do when it's a product or, or sorry, when it's a sum or a subtraction is do the Pythagorean theorem with the uncertainties. Or the quadrature, just add it in quadrature. Uh, which is like the square root of the sum of the squares. Yeah, so the the uncertainty in C, which is, is the product of A and B, or goddamn, which is the sum of A and B, <laughs> is going to be the square root of the sum of the squares of the two uncertainties. And this is also different for products and quotients, which you can explain that. So for multiplications and I'll, I'll, uh, or divisions, I'll give an example here. Let's say we are trying to find the speed of a vehicle, right? And we have the distance it travels, which has an uncertainty to it. We have the time it takes to travel that distance, which also has an uncertainty to it. And we know that speed equals distance over time. So... We can get the speed very easily. All we have to do is take the distance and take the time without the uncertainties, divide them, and that's your speed. However, what's the uncertainty in our speed? And very similar to addition, again, we put them in quadrature, which is basically the square root of the sum of the squares. 
But this time, once again, very hard to explain on a podcast. <laughs> it's a lot easier with like a video or maybe the equation in front of we, you. We, we can put the link in the description to these these uncertainty yeah, rules. That's true. We can. We definitely can. We And we probably yeah. will where you can see the uncertainty defined. So, for example, the uncertainty in the speed in this situation that I just told you will be the square root. And instead of just the squares of the uncertainties, it's going to be the uncertainties divided by the value. So for example, I'll give you the actual thing. Let's say we're trying to find delta V, which is our, our uncertainty in V. So our equation will be square root, it equals the square root of the uncertainty of the distance divided by the value of the distance squared plus the uncertainty in the time divided by the value of time squared. Once again, hopefully, you guys understood that. If you guys didn't, again, link is in the description, which explains it a lot better than I would. That whole square root multiplied by the value of the speed, <laughs> just to just to confuse yeah, yeah. it a little bit yeah. more. You have to, you yeah, you have to multiply <laughs> it later on because because what this the fraction all the all that the fraction does it just gives you a percentage of right. the uncertainty, and then you actually have to multiply it by the uh, the speed that you found. And that's when you get the actual value of the uncertainty. So let's say once again, the speed was five meters per second. The uncertainty was, I don't know, 0.5 meters per second. I don't think there's a use in trying to add numbers into this. No, 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 no. I'm just trying to say how you would write it down. Then V equals like five plus right, or minus right, 0. Right. 0.5. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay. But yeah. So like, that's how you would write it. All right. So we are actually coming up on 30 minutes plus. So yeah, uh, thirty minutes plus a bit. Yeah, there was still a lot of posts. Right, just plus a room. bit. Yeah. <laughs> so we actually didn't have enough time to talk about our experience in our physics labs, which is actually something I really want to talk about. Like our our favorite experiments, least favorite experiments, how we used Python and all that stuff. And um, this this would be a that very can actually be another video. Yeah, this would be a very good podcast for first years coming into uh, uh, physics at U of T. So I think mm -hmm. that'll just be like our next episode. Like I'm I'm down to do sure. it very soon. Sure, of course. Yeah. So thank you to everybody that's been downloading and listening to the podcast. We're almost at 1,200 downloads already. Last oh, podcast we were just at a thousand. So. Within that's nice. a few days, we're already plus 200 downloads, so that's awesome. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, this has been episode number 16. I'm your host, Parker. And I'm Ray, and we will see you soon. See ya.